Nights. I'm Will. I'm Sarah. This is our little podcast. About big plays. And it's a Crucible cast party. It's a Crucible, Crucible cast, cast party. party. And that's all of the song that I know. It's a Crucible cast, cast party. party. Yeah. If you haven't seen that SNL sketch, it's spectacular. Will and I watch it maybe once a year, maybe twice. Whenever we're feeling a little down, you just watch Maybe Crucible you cast only party. watch it once a year, but I, I pull it out every day. <laughs> That's why you knew all the words. That's why I knew all the words, and that's why it's logged in my memory forever of all time. I'm obsessed. Yeah, yeah. especially if you like uh, whatever his name. Scarlett Johansson? No. <laughs> She's not in it. What? Who's that guy? Um, I... The guy who wrote Hamilton, whatever yep. his name is. Wow, I can't even think of it. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. My brain sucks Whoa. today. I'm so sorry, everyone. That was Whoa. really embarrassing. Whoa. I mean, like, I couldn't. I mean, like, I couldn't think of it either. Yeah. So... Don't even worry about it. I was literally going to call him Alexander Hamilton. Well, like, yeah, I couldn't even think of the movie that he wrote or whatever. It's a play? Is it a musical? Oh, man. Well, here we, strong start. here we are. Here we are. Here we are. It's been um, a slow day around here. We're going yeah. to record a freaking podcast here. Yeah, we are. Um, so if you have not gotten the hint or seen our post, we are covering The Crucible by the... One and only Arthur Miller today. One of the foremost American playwrights. We've yes. talked about him a little bit on this podcast. Oh, just a little Thrown bit. his name out there a little bit. <laughs> Will loves throwing this man's name around. I'll tell you what. Well, you automatically sound smarter if you just like compare something. Oh, I to, like, will? To like, you like compare something. You're like, well, it's no Arthur Miller. Well, it's, it's so like, funny because like anyone I talk about plays with, like if they're ever like, oh, you know, like I love like Arthur Miller, like. You know, and that's like one of the names they throw out. I'm like, okay. oh, okay. So, you know, kind of traditional theater, but you don't know like much past that, I guess. You know? Like newer stuff. Yes, exactly. Like people love throwing him, like Tennessee Williams, Eugene O'Neill. Like I get those responses a lot when I don't get like. Oh, so you look down on people that. who like Arthur Miller? If that is the only name they give me, a little bit. Wow. Yeah. What if they, I'm gen- a snob. What if, what if they genuinely like Arthur Miller, though? And they, like, think that new stuff is just not as good. I'd be interested to have that conversation. Because well, I don't know if go. I agree. Anyways, we're talking about Arthur Miller. And I do, don't get me wrong, like, I love, I do love Arthur Miller as well. You know? I, I think you should look down on yourself, then. It's very fair. <laughs> um, But my guy, Arthur, he was born. Yeah, who's this guy? October 17th, 1915. So... I don't know exactly what sign. I think he's a Libra, which honestly, I could see it. I don't know what that means. Um, I mean, like Gaines I... is a Libra. Callie's a Libra. They're kind of like, they go back and forth. They're a little, they're very like charming, but they can also be kind of flaky. Nothing but respect from our my Libras. But yeah. I can definitely see Arthur Miller showing up late to dinners and stuff. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, um, where you been, Arthur? Oh, you know, just writing a play. He was the second of three children. He is of Polish-Jewish descent. His father owned a woman's clothing manufacturing business that employed 400 people. So they become, like, very wealthy and very respected in um, the little Manhattan community. I just thought it was funny because uh, we're when we watched Mrs. Maisel, one of the family, like... Well, the yeah, guy's that's like dad a, is like that's how like that's how a lot of Jewish people got their money is through the wardrobe industry. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fact. So the Millers were the same. Yep. Um, 
And then they were living like this high life on the West 110th Street in Manhattan. Like they had a vacation home in Queens. They had a chauffeur. Things were happening for this fam. He's privileged. Exactly. But then the Wall Street crash of 1929. Family lost almost everything. And they had to move to Brooklyn. Oh gosh, not Brooklyn! I know. Can you imagine? They would have. They would have had to like eat with like trendy millennials, and, <laughs> with, have brunch Who have there, bikes, and, and they like bottomless mimosas with and, like, like brick and greenery. Ugh. But yeah, he uh, lived out Will and My Dream of living in Brooklyn, New York. And if you want to read about his childhood and his thoughts on it, he actually did write a book called A Boy Grew in Brooklyn. So. Not, not like a tree grows in Brooklyn. Nope. Which is a different book. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were just being dumb. No. Um, I never read it, but it's probably it's probably about a book. Uh, a tree. <laughs> it's probably a tree about a book. A tree that grows in Brooklyn. Um, they cut down the tree and they printed the book on it. Continue. Continue. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, as a teenager, Miller would deliver bread every morning before school to financially help the family. Um, And he paid for his own college tuition while he was attending the University of Michigan through, like, several menial jobs. Um, He went to Michigan? I know. Isn't that funny? Why would he go to... It doesn't matter. Whatever. I don't know. He didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. He first majored in journalism. Well, I'm just like, why wouldn't he go to a New York school? I don't know. All the way to Michigan. I don't know. I didn't see anything. Maybe he was a big fan of their football team. I'm a big fan. You love Michigan football? No, I don't know. I just like Michigan. Ann Arbor is beautiful. Yeah, Maybe that's what he Um, He majored in journalism, and that's where he actually like wrote his first play, No Villain. Um, so then after that, it gained some like notoriety. People kind of were like, wow, this was, this is pretty good, Arthur. Maybe you should think about being a playwright. Arthur, you're good. Yeah. And so then he switched his major to English and then subsequently won the avery hopwood award for his play and then he began to kind of think like oh maybe i can actually do this so he started working with a man named professor kenneth rowe who was in charge of like this playwriting seminar and he gave miller some like kind of like critical you know he looked at his work told him what was wrong with it told him what structures to kind of like help him focus his writing a little more and gave him encouragement you know as teachers do he sounds like a great teacher and they became like friends for life because of it I just thought that was a nice little cute, little cute, a teacher student cute story <laughs> of Arthur Miller. Um, so cute. So cute. Yeah. As a teacher, any, do you hope to be that kind of teacher to your students? Um, look, I don't put that much effort into my relationship with my students. Oh. <laughs> I just say do the work. Do the work. It pays off on its own. That's right. I'll pay you for your work. In a grade. Hope not real money. That would make sense of why teacher salaries are so low. Am I right? Because um, we just pay our students to work. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say it should be the other way around. They should pay me to teach them, which they do in a way. Anyway. On May first, nineteen thirty-five, Miller joined the League of American Writers, um, and the members were largely either in the Communist Party or fellow travelers. He's now, a commie. Now, is that going to come up later? It might. Yeah, it definitely will. It definitely will. Um, but fellow travelers, if you're wondering, it's not someone who likes to travel, like I thought. It's a person who is intellectually sympathetic to the ideology of political organization 
or who cooperates in the organization's politics without being a formal member of that organization. So they're just like, yeah, we'll hear you out and we support like your thoughts and we'll kind of like have those important conversations. He's a communist sympathizer. Exactly. After college, he chose to join the Federal Theater Project, which is a New Deal agency established to provide jobs in the theater. Revolutionary. Groundbreaking. This was given by the government, set up. FDR, New Deal, it's great. Yeah, he appreciates the arts. Well, um, he accepted this offer over a script writing job at 20th Century Fox that paid way more because he cared about the arts in our country. Um, however, soon after, Congress was worried about possible communist infiltration into the project, and it closed. So that's sad. And honestly, uh, since the then, commies. I have not seen, seen a lot of government help in the theater, but it's fine. The commies struck again. Classic. Um, so Miller was like, yo, I'm just going to go work in a Brooklyn Navy yard for the time being and write radio plays, which were sometimes broadcast on CBS. Uh, he married Mary Grace Slattery, and the couple had two children, Jane and Robert. His first play to be produced, The Man Who Had... Kinda, kinda, oh. Man, most boring name, Jane Miller. I know. Woof. Jane Miller, Robert Miller. Okay. Oh, boy. I know. You. This guy's a playwright? He's from Brooklyn. He needs much more trendy names for his children. Like what, Will? Beckett. Or Oakley. Those are trendy names. Those are very trendy. Yeah. Nowadays. Back then, it would have been like, what did you name your kid after a tree in Brooklyn? You named your it all comes back. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what are you going to name him next? Maple? I was thinking about it. I, this is me as Arthur Miller. I know. It's great acting. Um, his first play to be produced was The Man Who Had All the Luck, but it That's closed. That's what it's called? Yeah. It closed after four performances with terrible reviews. So I wanted to tell you, the listeners this because Arthur Miller is one of the greatest playwrights of American culture. And anyone who feels like down on their luck or they're like, wow, I'm really bad at this. Arthur Miller's first play to ever be produced. Only four performances. And then they were like, nope, this yeah, is no, terrible. Yeah, bad. You're bad. Um, the so, title, it's like, why wouldn't you call it like the luckiest man or something like that? Well, maybe it would have been successful. <laughs> Titles mean a lot to Will and I, as you will say. Um, the next play that he got produced uh, after a few years of finding himself was called All My Sons, which we if all, you know theater, you know that it was a success. I've, yeah, I've never read it, but I'm, I'm sure it's fine. It's wonderful. You read um, it? Yeah. Nice. It debuted in 1947. And it actually almost got terrible reviews because of like the time in our in the world where the country had just won World War Two two years prior. And so it was kind of like an optimistic time in the nation. They're really trying to like sell that just because of all like how much they had gone through. Um, and so this play, All My Sons, is like pretty depressing. So people were like, why are you putting up a depressing play on Broadway? We want to see... You know, things that reflect how we're feeling. Yeah, exactly. But one review in the New York Times by Brooks Atkinson saved it, um, where they were like, it's actually very groundbreaking. This is beautiful work. This is the type of stuff we need to see, you know, to kind of keep us like not just as an optimistic people. And so it became a success. It saved the show. Thanks, Brooks. 
And actually, Arthur Miller is like, yeah, that's what saved my play from being like because he's from brooklyn he was saved by a guy named brooks exactly it all connects wow um within the next year he wrote death of a salesman another fantastic work um he wrote act one in a day and then he took the next six weeks to like finish it so fast and so uh, good (laughs) really slacking there and then yeah exactly it premiered on broadway in 1949, with my favorite director of all time, Elia Kazan, at the helm. For anyone who knows me, and this is probably just Will, because I dork Cause out about it as much in front of him. Then you don't, you don't like go around telling people who's your favorite old dead theater director. <laughs> Let me tell you, Elia Kazan. Yeah, he is just so. I love his style. He really like is so wonderful like with the actors where he'll push them so much like uh, a lot of my techniques that I do as a director like come from him I love reading about him I love reading stories about him and he directed Death of a Salesman he also directed Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway and the film like he is just so 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 good so please do research on him if you love me and we can talk about it um if you love me and if you don't love me you won't (laughs) Uh, no pressure, but Death of a Salesman, huge huge success. I would say that is an understatement. Yeah, um, one of the greatest plays of all time. And this won him the Pulitzer Prize for drama. So he is a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. Good for him. Yeah, and like he had this cute little letter exchange with Eugene O'Neill, who wrote Long Day's Journey Tonight. Eugene, after actually All My Sons, he was like, hey, congrats, man. Proud of you. And, like, months later, Arthur Miller's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry it took me so long to respond. You are wonderful. Please come see my new play, Death of a Salesman, opening night. Here's a ticket. And Eugene's like, actually, I have Parkinson's. Can't travel. All the best. And then Miller's like, yo, I'll come to you in Boston and we'll hang. Unfortunately, this little meetup never happened, but... I just loved the little sad back and forth. <laughs> um, yeah, it was very sad. But what's not sad, but maybe is, um, in June 1956, Miller left his first wife. So that part is sad. And he wed film star Marilyn Monroe. But he married her for her personality. Right? Yeah, I mean. He loved her. He did. He did. <laughs> He did, right? I don't know. I, I, don't know. know. I have no idea. <laughs> I hope so. They had met in 1951, had like this brief affair, and then kept in contact for like the next five years. And it was one of those like, I can't live without you. Wow. Marry me. Um, so I think they did love each other. Because I... didn't he write a play about her? He did. We will get there. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, But she had only just turned 30 when they married and was excited to have like a real family of her own. Because she came from, you know, very, like, humble beginnings, never had, like, a family since then because she had to, like, leave them at such a young age to pursue her acting career. And it was just a very complicated path. So she was like, great, I'm going to dive in. She wanted to leave Hollywood for Miller. She converted to Judaism for him. She told Susan Strasberg, who's the daughter of Lee Strasberg, who was part of, like, this theater collective, like, the group theater. It's very... um iconic group of people who created theater at this time you should look into them anyways 
Um, We're giving you a lot of homework. I'm so sorry. I'm just very passionate about this time in theater. Um, But she told Susan Strasberg, she said, I can identify with the Jews. Everyone's always out to get them, no matter what they do, like me. Sad. But she converted to Judaism when she did. I feel like I'm saying it weird. Judaism. Judaism. Okay, there it is. Judaism. Judaism. Well, yeah, you could say Judaism yeah. as well. Yeah, I was, I was just trying to do like a mix yeah, and it you wasn't kinda, working. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry, guys. You gotta commit. Uh, commit to the bit. After she converted and she became a Jew. Are you calling Jew. Judaism a bit? <laughs> no, no. Somebody's no. religion. Oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, after she became a Jew, uh, Egypt banned all her movies. No way. Yeah, isn't that insane? I Why would people. Egypt? Oh, because it's a it's a it's a country run by by Islam. I guess, yeah. Wow. I know. That's weird. I know. It's sad. Um, later that year, Miller was subpoenaed by the HUAC, which is the House Un-American Activities Committee. Will will talk more on this later. Yes. Yes. Um. But I did want to give another shout out to. My favorite director, say it with me. Elia Kazan. All right. Um, but he <laughs> appeared before that committee uh, and he named the members of the group theater. He named Clifford Odets, Paula Strasberg, Lillian Hellman, J. Edward Bromberg, and John Garfield, who in recent years had been like fellow members of the Communist Party. Yeah. So the House on American Civics Committee or whatever it's called. What is it called? House on American Activities Committee was basically trying to um, find people who were communist sympathizers and get them out of government and get them out of Hollywood just so that... Blacklist them. The, yeah, bl- blacklist them so that the Reds, you know, couldn't take over the United States from the inside. Yeah. Um, and so, like, Miller and Kazan, they were, like, really close friends in the 40s and 50s, but after Kazan, like, sold out the group theater people like their friendship ended he like miller was so mad at him after speaking with him about uh his testimony miller traveled to salem massachusetts to research the witch trials of 19 or 1692 he was like i'm so mad i'm gonna write Write a a play play about it i'm gonna go to salem massachusetts literally he and kazan did not speak for the next 10 years Kazan later defended his own actions through his film On the Waterfront, which is spectacular and stars Marlon Brando. You should watch it. In which a dock worker heroically testifies against a, of a corrupt like union boss. Miller would retaliate to Kazan's work by writing A View from the Bridge. Whoa, I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't know On the Waterfront was about. I mean, I, I only watched it in high school, so I didn't realize what it was really about. Yeah. Wow. I know. And A View from the Bridge is a play where a longshoresman outs his co-workers motivated only by jealousy and greed. And he sent a copy of the initial script to Kazan. And when uh, the director asked, like, in jest, oh, do you want me to direct this movie, Arthur Miller? And he was like, no, I only sent you the script to let you know what I think of stool pigeons, which are like, uh, you know, people who, oh my gosh, snitches. <laughs> Basically. Snitches get stitches. Snitches get stitches or stool pigeoned. Miller began writing a screenplay for The Misfits. And who would it star? None other than Marilyn Monroe. But this is where they kind of start having lots of troubles in their marriage, one might say. 
one should say, because they did. Um, Marilyn was taking drugs to help her sleep and more drugs to wake up, which caused her to be late on set. And then she would forget her lines, which is kind of disrespectful to her husband screenwriter, you know? Yeah, he can't. Yeah. You can't even like memorize the lines that he wrote and put work and thought into. I don't know. Because she was addicted to drugs. Yeah. So Arthur says. Or this is when she was having the affair with John Kennedy. Dun, dun, dun. Wait, was it? Wait, what year is this? 1961 was when it came out. So it was probably so the alleged affair. The alleged affair where John Kennedy was sneaking her into the White House in the tunnels. As she's filming a movie. There's the picture of them (laughs) in the White House window. Yeah. It's probably fake. Yeah. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know much about that. But Arthur says filming this movie was, in fact, the lowest point of his life. Wow. Um, they divorced right before the premiere. Well, the second lowest. First lowest was moving to Brooklyn. Got him. Let's go. <laughs> they divorced right before the premiere after five years of marriage. And um, 19 months later, Marilyn died of likely a drug overdose. You mean she was killed by the FBI? That's exactly what I said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after all of that, he married Inge Morath a photographer that had worked on documenting the misfits. They had children, Rebecca and Daniel. Okay. Daniel what? was born with Down syndrome. Okay. Except it's like a really sad story where um, this is where I don't think Arthur Miller's like super great guy because he institutionalized Ooh, his that was son. Very, that was very common. Yes. Yeah. Um, and even though like his wife didn't want that, she like begged him not to and he wouldn't hear of it. He institutionalized him. He, like, never saw him, never spoke of him. Um, the wife was able to, like, visit him often, though. Wow. But um, Daniel Day-Lewis, okay, who was Arthur Miller's son-in-law. Did you know this? I know. Isn't that wild? Um, Arthur Miller's son-in-law, Daniel Day-Lewis, the great actor of our time, um, he... Like went and saw Daniel, the other Daniel, the other Daniel, yes, with Down syndrome. He frequently visited him when he was younger, and actually did convince Arthur Miller to like go visit him with him a few times. So, because Daniel Day Lewis plays John Proctor in the 1996 film (gasps) The Crucible, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. (laughs) It's nepotism at its finest. But he produced much more work later in his career. I know. Sorry, guys. This is so much on one guy. But, like, I didn't even – I'm not even going to cover half of what he's done. Um, But here are a few more things I want to hit on. Like Will said before, he did write a play about him and Marilyn Monroe's relationship called After the Fall. And this actually brought my boy Aaliyah Kazan and Arthur Miller together once again. Um, the play was about his, you know, relationship with Marilyn, but people were upset because he put like a Monroe like character on stage and called her Maggie. Like everyone was obsessed with Marilyn Monroe and like painting her in a negative light was just like, uh, not super great when everyone's fully in love with her and they're like, who are you? You know, like she was a national phenomenon. Um, one review called it a three and a half hour breach of taste, a confessional autobiography of embarrassing explicitness. There is a misogynistic strain in the play, which the author does not seem to recognize. He has created a shameless piece of tabloid gossip, an act of exhibitionism, which makes us all voyeurs. 
a wretched piece of dramatic writing. Okay. It did not go well. Okay. <laughs> so not super great. But the following year, he was elected the first American president of the Penn International, um, which is like kind of a writer's group from like of all around the world collective. Um, and he held that position for four years. He also wrote another family drama called The Price. Have you ever heard of that? Nope. But it's considered one of his most successfully produced plays since Death of a Salesman at the time. Okay. Which I was like, wow, I didn't even know this existed. Um, he lived quite a long time. In December 2004, 89-year-old Miller announced that he'd been in love with 34-year-old minimalist painter Agnes Barley. His wife had died. painter? Yes. Yeah. So she just like, just like did the bare minimum stick figures and stuff. Okay. I will not stand for you hating on art that you don't know of because I worked in a museum once. <laughs> so. Wow. <laughs> I was just trying to make a joke. I won't stand for it. Um, but Sounds Miller's wife. Sounds like a wife, lazy painter to me. We're just going to keep going. Um, Miller's wife had died a few years prior, but it is kind of gross to me that an almost 90 year old man is like, I'm in love with this 35 year old. Yeah, and, like, he probably, like, announces that, and they're, like, and everyone's, like, who are you, Arthur Miller? <laughs> you're still alive. You're, you're still alive. Um, Yeah, he was, like, we're intending to marry, and everyone's, like, okay. Cool. Um, but he soon died on the evening of February 10th, 2005, because he was 90 years old, or turning 90 Very soon. Very old. Um, of bladder cancer and heart failure at his home in Roxbury, Connecticut. And it was actually the 56th anniversary of the Broadway debut of Death of a Salesman. And it was the salesman who, himself who died. Who died. Um, when he died, his daughter was like, to the 35-year-old painter, um, vacate the premises because I've never been a fan of your relationship and he's gone now and you have no right to be here. Which I was like powerful. Respect. Um, yeah. So he died, and like he has his career has spanned like over seven decades long. Um, so it's quite a breadth of work, one might say. And at the time of his death, Miller was considered to be one of the greatest dramatists of the 20th century. And since then, um, there's so many actors, directors, producers that have paid tribute to Miller. Some calling him the great. Some calling him the last great practitioner of the American stage. And Broadway theaters darkened their lights in a show of respect when he died. Um, his alma mater, University of Michigan, opened an Arthur Miller Theater in March 2007. And as per his express wish, it is the only theater in the world that bears Miller's name. Which I thought was sweet. Nice. And a minor planet, 3769 Arthur Miller, is named after him. A minor planet? <laughs> Yeah. I hope that one doesn't become like the one that we all go to when Earth crumbles. And they're like, oh, we got to go to Arthur Miller 3768 or whatever. They're like, that one? That one? We got to go to the Arthur Miller planet? Uh, what, are they going to make us read Death of a Salesman every day to just remind ourselves of how small we are? President Willie Loman? <laughs> president of the planet? Every every president has to be called Willie Loman. Yeah. Actually. It's to keep him humble. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that is my take on Arthur Miller's life. Oof. I'm so sorry. I know that was probably one of our longest, but I found it quite interesting. Lots of little stories in there. We love, yeah, we get, yeah, thank you for that. You're so welcome, Will. Yeah. yeah. 
Let's move on to your segment. Why? So we well, kind of touched play, on it with why did he write the Crucible a little yeah, bit. Yes. Yeah, so this play is deeply seated in American history. It is one of the most like straightforward allegories out there. Like it's very clearly um, based on the phenomenon or the really uh, terrible incident that was called McCarthyism or the or the the trials of Senator Joseph McCarthy or the McCarthy hearings really. Um, and so it's very clearly that, um, that's what he was trying to write about. And, uh, let me explain that a little bit. Okay. So going back to, um, after world war one, everybody in the United States hates communists. Okay. There's a red scare in 1917. The communists are taken over. They're take, they took over Russia and, uh, Americans and communists have never gotten along. Okay. Not, and they never will. All right. So, all right. Here we go. <laughs> so after then, after World War II, things got even worse because there's this again this deep seated idea that there are people who are communists within the United States and they are corrupting our children. They are influencing not the children. Not the children. Don't make them share. Come on. That's all <laughs> communists want. Not really. Communism is actually very bad. But basically, um, after World War II, there's the second round of red scare kind of and it, it eventually becomes mccarthyism so joseph senator joseph mccarthy he's this dude from wisconsin okay and he is trying to expose people that are w working within the american government working everywhere um in the united states to be com communists right and so he's trying to defame their character and all this kind of stuff the only problem is there's really no evidence of like that they were actually communists he's kind mm. of just calling random people out um they were very unsubstantiated charges it's not like he went to like a communist meeting and was like oh my gosh i saw that person there that person there that person there okay it's not that that's not really what happened so he is uh mccarthy's elected to the senate in 1946 rose to prominence because he gave this speech where he um, said that there were 57 communists that had infiltrated the state department. And here's a, here's a, um, here is a quote from him in that speech. One thing to remember in discussing the communists in our government is that we are not dealing with spies who get 30 pieces of silver to steal the blueprints of a new weapon. We are dealing with a far more sinister type of activity because it permits the enemy to guide and shape our policy. So he was basically claiming that all these people are within the American government and they're all trying to make us all communists. And of course, this the Americans could not stand for this. So all these hearings start to take place. So the next two years, he was constantly in the spotlight investigating various government departments and questioning innumerable witnesses about their suspected communist affiliations. He failed to make a plausible case against anyone, and his colorful and cleverly presented accusations drove some persons out of their jobs and brought popular condemnation to others. Okay. So it reached its peak in uh, 1954. There were 36 days of televised investigations, and these were publicly broadcast. Everybody could watch them, and everybody did watch them. Oh, wow. And, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was wild. Um, and so they finally ended after uh, they after a while, it was very clear that he like really had no, I don't know, no proof. And 
and it this kind is of insane <laughs> yeah this is insane and like what and like you would basically come before the senator like the senators the, the hearings okay if you were brought if you were one of the people on the list or whatever and they'd ask you like are you a communist and you'd be like no and they'd be like well do you know anyone who's a communist and you'd be like no and then like that's i don't know that's like kind of how they went um and so it was it was this it was this it was a it was a witch hunt right so that's where we kind of the turn i mean like in government a lot of times politicians if they've if they are being blamed for something if they're doing something wrong they'll say like it's a witch hunt this is like new mccarthyism or whatever that's what they're talking about where you're making baseless accusations um and trying to condemn someone's character um for something they probably didn't do um so finally they end um joseph welch was one man who um who is the uh, he was the u.s army's lawyer actually in this hearing i um, mean he calls him out towards the very end of the hearings and he says have you no sense of decency decency sir at long last have you left no sense of dis- decency and this discredited mccarthy and helped to turn the tide of public opinion against him because that's also important to understand is that people were like all on board with this yeah okay? the citizens of the united states were like oh my gosh there are yeah, communists. Get the communists out of here. it's like you know it, and it and it's so and I'm, i want to bring this up later of like how like the age of trumpism has kind of we're kind of seeing this again a little bit mm-hmm. with like a bunch of baseless accusations and all that kind of stuff. Anyway. Um, so well, will all the mail-in ballots are, are fraudulent. Yeah, exactly. So. It's stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, but okay. Show us the proof. Like, what are you talking show about? Show us the math. Yeah. Um, um, he was undermined. McCarthy was also undermined significantly by this guy named Edward Murrow, who was a journalist. Um, and he, you know, was like i don't know he 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 kind of called mccarthy out for what he was which is like a fraud and a fake um and there's a great movie about murrow actually called um good night and good luck directed by george clooney oh yeah we love george yeah um that that was that's a good movie um (laughs) i don't know i watched it one time um and then so finally the mccarthy hearings end and mccarthy um was like basically kicked out of the Senate. Yeah. So he was, so he was, he was very publicly like reprimanded for what he was doing. Um, and then in 1957, just a few short years later, he passed away. Um, so it probably broke him a little bit. Um, and so this has really, um, it really left a, it really took a toll on, on the American people. And okay. So going back to, yeah, I don't know. Going back to like, the Salem witch trials, which is what the crucible is about, right? Would what love. are the Salem witch trials? What are well? the Sa- because the if you guys didn't know, the crucible is all about the Salem witch trials, and those were a real thing that happened. If you okay? didn't, if you didn't know, you didn't do your freshman year English homework. Yeah, I don't remember when we read this, but yeah, we definitely read it in school. <laughs> um, so the Salem witch trials were a real thing in the 1690s in in Salem, Massachusetts. Now, witch hunts were a thing well before this. Okay, so in the 1300s in Europe, all these witch hunts would happen. Um, it's kind of the uh, the old. You, you ever seen the Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they're like, "She's yes. a witch, she's a witch." It's that kind of stuff that would happen. Like they, like some woman would be doing something weird, and everybody'd be like, "She's a witch." Or like, "Well, how do you know she's a witch?" Well, she looks like one, and like, or she was walking backwards in the street, or, or whatever. I feel like they just like 
didn't like weird people. Yeah, I mean, I, think I mean, I would they have chalked, been called a witch. Sure, <laughs> I don't know. They they chalked up a lot of like real mental disorders to witchcraft. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, and so like if you were, or if you had like seizures, right? Like, well, that's witchcraft, you know? So it's, it's all, it's all that kind of stuff. Um, so those were real things. Um, of course in Salem, it got really bad. Um, and the play basically for the most part follows the story is that there's this guy named Reverend Paris and his daughter, um, and niece, started to have fits they started screaming they started throwing things all right and and they 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 were having like a like i don't know some kind of mental breakdown basically that's what i do and so there is yeah <laughs> you know like that, that was a live recording of me when i'm upset <laughs> okay uh yeah and so they um so they started to blame some other women for like infiltrating or making them witches, right? There's a there's a person named Tituba, who is a character in the play as well, um, who is a a slave, oh, wow. and they kind of blame her for it because she's like you know I don't know voodoo magic or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of like true like real stuff that's in the play that also really happened. Um, the stuff about like John Proctor and Abigail was not real. But you always got to add in an affair. You got to add in all that stuff. Sex sells. Yeah, exactly. But Abigail in real life was only 11. So gross. Um, and so the witch hunt happens for a couple of years or maybe a year or something like that. 20 people end up getting ex- executed. Oh um, the governor or somebody has to step in. Over 200 people were blamed for it or thrown in jail. Um, and um, yeah, it was, it was a real rough time. Um, so. Now, going back, and everyone's like, because, like, modern archaeologists have been like, are like, what the heck happened? Why did this happen to Salem? Why did people start going crazy? Because the fits and the people claiming that they um, were seeing things, all that stuff, like, that, like, I don't know. I don't think, like, a bunch of people were lying. In the play, it's very clear that the girls who are pretend, they are pretending to see things in the courtroom they're pretending to yeah be like witches right they're They're, diabolical yeah they're diabolical and they're and they're trying to they're trying to blame their witchcraft on other people that's the whole kind of thing of the play but people have looked at like okay what could have caused this and there is actually this like fungus that can grow on wheat or other things that those people probably were eating during the time and it can cause you to have like hallucinations it can cause you to have seizures it can cause you to have all these things and so they think wow. that that fungus probably had something to do with the Salem witch trials and that's like that's so why it happened crazy. now we can't obviously know that for sure um but they think that, that that's a that's a pretty good pretty good, good guess, guess could bet like it's the only place in America that you know only happening in that town sure yeah yeah and it would have yeah it's like the right kind of environment it was like the right season for the fungus to arrive and so like yeah that probably is what happened interesting yeah yeah so it's a it's a wild crazy time with the salem witch trials did you know when we went to salem match we went to cape cod in 2000 or something for a family reunion and we went to salem accused for being witches and we were all executed yeah (laughs) (laughs) And, but they gave us good lobster first, which was good. Um, no, but we went to Salem, which was fascinating. And there's this really 
creepy wax museum about the Salem witch trials there. Ew. And oh yeah, it's real creepy. I hate wax There's like I, I like oh my god. But gosh. I like them and I hate them. And I don't know. I know. It's like insane I like can't how <laughs> like how like detailed the wax figures are and yeah. stuff. And you're like, this is crazy. But I, there's this like really terrible image that I have like burned into my brain where it's this it's this I guess like person who who was a witch or whatever they have got this she's standing there she's like very stoic and solemn and staring straight ahead and she's standing next to this creepy tree and the creepy tree has like a noose on it and Uh, you're like yeah it was really creepy and i was very scarred as a child i'm so sorry it's okay and and in we found out i think it was that trip that we are distantly related the rights are to one of the witches yeah i'm obsessed yeah can we go to halloween her name was her name was her her name was like susanna somebody and so we were like are my cousins named susanna and we're like oh susanna's a witch this is all very very vague memory for me it's it happened something like that i was like eight years old at the time oh my gosh yeah yeah i can't believe that yeah distantly related to a witch which side uh the yeah yeah yeah. So. Spooky. Hopefully it doesn't get passed down to our kids someday. She's a witch. You're a witch, Harry. Two episodes ago. Anyways. Yeah. Um, should we get into the play? Yes, we should. All right. The long five-act play. So, um, I mean, I guess like the briefest of summaries, because people are probably pretty familiar with this play. Yeah, I feel like we kind of... Yeah, we kind of... Yeah, so basically... They, Abigail. They're, so Abigail, um, yeah, is uh, oh, blah. Basically, uh, Abigail and her friends are out in the woods, and they're like, "Let's get naked and dance, and just like be silly girls." And like, I hate Elizabeth Proctor because like I'm in love with her husband. Let's just like let's curse try, her. Let's try to kill her. Yeah, like goofy girl stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's try to murder someone through witchcraft. Yeah. Um. It'll never work. We're just having fun in the woods. And Tichuba's here because she's, like, watching us. And, like, she says some fun voodoo things. And, like, we're just having a grand old time. Classic sleepover stuff. Yes. It, it happened at every sleepover in my childhood. So, what <laughs> <laughs> was the problem? Maybe um, we cooked some frogs, too. I don't know. Throw them on the fire. Wild thought. Yeah. Well, it did not go over well. They get guess caught. guess who comes out? Uh, Paris, who is Elizabeth's father. Really? Yeah, sure. Abigail's father? Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's what I meant. Abigail's father. Abigail's father. Um, Yeah, and he's the reverend. Reverend. He's like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. This is so bad. You guys could all be in trouble. And they were so scared of being in trouble that one of the girls, like, kind of gets, like, sick and, like, faint. And so she's, like, bedridden. And then the girls are like, how do we get out of this? And Abigail's like, I swear to God, if you tell them what we were doing, I'll kill you. Because she doesn't want anyone to know about the affair with John Proctor. Yeah. And so then she's like, well, she just kind of comes up with this thing where they're going to accuse people of being witches because that's how they get out of it. We weren't doing witchcraft. These other people are witches. We yeah. were trying to so kind they, of combat exactly. that. They're trying, to, they're trying to cast blame on other people. They're trying to distract and all right. that kind of stuff. So, And it freaking works. It freaking works. Like... A charm. You honestly couldn't have planned it better if you tried. Exactly. Yeah. And so all these people, they start these, obviously there's court hearings or whatever. 
John Proctor, you know, he's he, he's he's this. conflicted. He's attracted to Abigail because they had sex, obviously, so they're attracted towards each other. But some real good Puritan sex, you know. <laughs> oh God. Um, but then he's like, he feels really bad and he's not into it anymore. And he just like, can't let her down or she just like, won't take it. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh my God, it's torture. And Elizabeth knows his wife, uh, but she's like, still loves him. She's like trying to be understanding. She's like, just she kind of, bl- she pl- kind of blame. Well, he has ended it by the yeah. time the play starts. He's ended it. No, I know. But she's and- like, I still see how she looks at you, you know, like, yeah. She still thinks there's kind of yeah some, some kind of chemistry, and she she kind of blames herself for it. She's got a line that says, "Takes a cold wife to prompt lechery." <gasps> One of my favorite quotes of all time that's in my quote notes. Yeah, is from the Crucible. Uh, the Crucible. So it is. It's along the same lines as that because Elizabeth says, "Suspicion kissed you when I did." Meaning. So like. She was always, like, there was always, like, that suspicion in the air. There was always that kind of, like, wall between them. Oh. So their intimacy was oh, always, like, had that she, underlying, like, I know what she, you're doing and didn't say she, There was never real trust between them. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, William. Exactly. Um, but it's all going, like, pretty bad. And then Abigail, you know, she's like, great, I can take out Elizabeth finally. And... She is like accuses Elizabeth of witchcraft, and John was like, "Oh my gosh, of course she did this. She's evil. I'm gonna go to court and tell him we had an affair. It'll like ruin me, but it'll get Elizabeth out of this situation because she does not need to be in it." So he goes there. He claims like we had, you know, we had relations, and. Elizabeth they're like okay Elizabeth is this real did Abigail and John like have sex and she's like no which I was like why I'm still mind blown about it so yeah that's like a big question of like okay is why does Elizabeth who is like portrayed as like this very like pure character why does she lie I mean I think she's doing it you know because like John at the end if it, uh, the spoiler of the ending, but it does this answer. He, you know, doesn't want to die because, or he is willing to die to preserve his name. Like their name means so much to them, and she knows if like people knew that he committed adultery, then like his name would be tarnished. Right. And so I think it's like out of love for him and out of love for her like family, and to preserve it, she can't like say oh yeah he had adultery because that would just like ruin their lives it would ruin their kids lives sure. like forever sure um so i think it's because of that but i i am still surprised every time because i'm like oh my gosh he would have been let off elizabeth would have been let off probably yeah yeah so um, um you know, i don't know what i was gonna say go ahead so elizabeth is uh she says no and he's like, oh, what? And um, and then we enter oh, into. That, yeah, I was just going to say that like that that courtroom scene is like crazy good. I love that courtroom. Yeah. Scene. Oh, it's so good. It's insane. And you can just imagine you can like see like in Miller's writing, you can just like see the chaos that he sews into it. Like all the all the the she's 
Elizabeth is trying to look at the person who's questioning her. You know, it's like, did, did, why did you fire, you know, Abigail from your house? Because she was their servant or whatever. And she's like trying to look over to John and he's like, look at me. You can't, no, he's, he doesn't have the answer. You have the answer. Why did you do it? Why did you do it or whatever? And it's like so crazy intense. And even on the page, it was just like, oh, yes. I would <laughs> yes. love, I would love to see like a really, really good oh my performance of this. Not that anyone ever does it because it's just too big of a cast really to do like professionally. Only high schoolers do it. Yeah, and even for like high schoolers, it's like too diff. It's like very difficult, and it's also got like only men in it. Basically, there's like a few good parts for women, but there's quite a few. Like there are. I mean, there are quite a few. But I mean, like the, Abigail the bulk, and Elizabeth are incredible. The bulk of the li- yeah, yeah, but the bulk of the lines go to men for sure. That's true. But you know, put a, your hair back in a ponytail and call it good. Call it good. Um. So then the fourth act kind of starts out and Abigail has stolen Paris's money and runs away, leaving the town in chaos. And they're kind of so many people have been accused in town that like basically, you know, shops aren't being open. Like it's kind of in destitute. I, yeah. And I love that image of like of like, yeah, we, we've like torn this town apart. So we'd better just like. It, does this really matter people are starting to question yeah. like are we are we doing more harm than good exactly here? like our community is like destroyed um, and like that for me like really hit home i think because it's like i think with the whole covid situation mm-hmm. we've started to realize like what are we doing here like what are we doing are we why are we doing these things that like or why do we set so many i don't know like rules for ourselves when those rules are like very what am i trying to say we do a lot of things we we had done a lot of things in um like before covid that we now realize don't matter at all and it's just the way our society has changed i think like the idea like i don't know even as simple as like going into work when it's very easy to like work from home it's kind of like broken down some things within our society and i think that this Salem witch trials kind of the, th- the same thing happened there mm. where yeah, they like yeah. they like started to realize like what are, what are we doing here why are we treating people like this yeah because um, it's ripping us apart it's a little less extreme obviously with COVID but I just like that I, I don't know that struck me as like a weird parallel between us and this yeah no I totally get that because I mean that's kind of the craziest part to me and I'm glad that they realized like oh maybe we, sh- we should stop <laughs> maybe we should stop executing our own people, people for for having no for some because someone said that they're a witch yeah because the girls just keep claiming people are witches because what's the deal like if you sign if you sign the confession and that say you're that a you witch, are a witch do you then get they'll off? let you go yeah and they'll say fine but, but if then you... your name is tarnished forever or whatever mm-hmm. and if you don't sign they kill you exactly and that people is why you're innocent till you're proven guilty because the other way around just doesn't work amen um not that that always happens but anyways so john proctor is accused of being a witch and he is in jail and elizabeth is pregnant and she and they have this like beautiful scene in act four uh where you know he's seeing like the growth of his family like be actualized kind of you know Mm -hmm. like in this moment and kind of like I think that's what brings the ending to a head where all he has to do to like sign off is like, hey, I'm not a witch. And then he can go free. No, oh, I am a witch. Oh, sorry. 
hey, I am a witch. And then he can go, like, be with his family. He can see, like, their child grow up, you know? Sure. All of that. And, you know, he says, like, yeah, 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 I'm a witch. Give me the papers. Let's do it. And then he's about to sign his name. And he just, he just can't. He just can't, like, his name means too much to him and to his family. That's, like, all that he has left is, like, the dignity of that. Um, and so then the ending is that he's executed. Does he make the right choice? Do you I wouldn't lie? have done it. <laughs> Do you, you lie to save your own life? I think I would have. I mean, yeah, I would have too. Like, I don't want to be executed. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I'm um, a witch. I'm, yeah, I'm the head witch. Sorry. But I get it. Like, I mean, it was an act of love for sure. And if he feels like he was making up for like all the pain that he caused them, that was like one way also that he could kind of make it up to them. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I get it, but I don't know if it was, I mean, now they kind of have to be without him. So that's sad. Yeah. See the, I don't know. Yeah. Cause like what's their life going to be, you know, if they don't have the guy to be out in the field plowing the stuff, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, Plus, I mean like the whole town of Salem is like burning by the end. So, Exactly. So who wants to be there? Yeah. That is our short version of The Crucible. I have a couple questions. Please. Now, this goes to the question of just like, should we say anything or like make any kind of accusation? Like if we can't prove it, should we ever try to blame somebody for something? If we like if you just have like a bad feeling about someone, you know, is that wrong to share it? Like, I have a bad feeling about that guy. Like, whatever. I don't know. I feel like he's a bad dude. What? Do you, who are you sharing it with? I don't know. You're sharing it with, like, your boss at work. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't have... I, it's a baseless accusation, but I think that guy's a bad dude. I mean... Or, like, maybe you are... Um, should we stick to intuition, right? Like, you're interviewing someone for a job. And you think to yourself, I've got this weird, like, on paper, like, their resume is great. You know, they've got all the experience. But yeah. I just get this weird vibe from them. I mean, Should I... Should we trust that? That's a baseless accusation. Yeah, I guess that is. I would I would not tell the boss that I feel weird about someone. But I would not hire someone if I felt weird. If you felt weird, if you got a weird vibe from them? I mean, I trust my gut so much. And, like, I have been right. A lot in the past and it's getting better with age when the times I've been wrong and it burns me. But like when you trust someone you shouldn't. Right. Mm. And then I get burned like I learn. And so I, you know, at least for me, I feel like I have a pretty good read on people and kind of see them the minute I meet them. Yeah. And I'm talking about like should anyone in general. Anyone in general. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Yeah. I think trust your gut. I think that's it's like an important thing. I mean, it's not like a life or death situation, like a job interview. Like I would never like, you know, kill someone off of a gut instinct. But if it comes to like working with them and something doesn't feel right, then it's not meant to be. If something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. Right. Interesting. Exactly. And like this was, I feel like it's different. With the Salem witch trial. Yeah, I feel like killing people and saying that they're witches and defaming their name is Well, yeah, I mean, that was very wrong. Yes, they should not have done that. That was bad. Yeah. Okay, here's something that I have had a problem with with the Crucible for a long time. I realize it's an allegory, so it's like a very, so it's a very, like, direct comparison to the McCarthy hearings. That's why he wrote it. 
Everybody knows that. Should he have tried to be more subtle, Arthur Miller? Should he have tried to be more subtle with his writing? Or was it a good is it a good thing that it's so it's draws such a clear comparison to the McCarthy hearings? I think I think he did the right thing. Like I don't want people to like, you know, hide behind their writing if he, you know, like the McCarthy hearings were wrong and like they weren't good they weren't good for our country like yeah it was all like you know as you heard terrible so and he felt that way and felt passionate and he was personally victimized he was by personally them. victimized by it his friends were like he what he wanted to use what he is good at to speak to the error <laughs> that was going on in their nation yeah so i think he did do the right thing and it's like you said it is like the most clear allegory but I think that's where, like, the strength lies in it because there's so much to talk about. You can talk about the play, but then you can also talk about what was going on in that time and how it directly relates. Um, and that provides, like, more strength to the story, I think. I don't think it would be as popular of a play if he was a little – if he was subtle about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Would you ever want to play Abigail? <laughs> William, of course. You know me too Is, well. Do I you, am a nightmare. Do you – that's not what I meant. No, but I'm do you feel like Abigail is like one of the premier female parts? Yeah. I mean, I'm all for um, playing a diabolical character, someone who... Is she up there with like a Lady Macbeth? Yeah. Well, like what I respect about Abigail is like she knows what she wants. Like all of her, you know, evil tendencies are from a place of like love and desire. I would say mostly just desire. I don't know if it's love. Yeah, but she's, like, stupid and young and, like, thinks it's love, you know? Mm. So it's, like, it might not be to us, but to her, it's, like, I love him. I should be with him. Sure. Um, And it's all coming from, like, that kind of place. And that's the best place to act from um, when it comes to, like, being evil, <laughs> I guess, in a play. Where it's, like, actually grounded. So yeah. that's why I'm, I'm like, very attracted because she knows what she wants yeah. And, like, it all stems from that. Um, and yeah. it would just be so fun. Oh, it'd be super fun to watch and to, to be a part of that. I would love, yeah, I would love to be, like, a like a Dan, like a Judge Dan yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're trying to, like, have control of the courtroom. And, like, there's all these people crazy, going crazy all around you. Oh, exactly. You. Oh, it'd be so fun. You would be good at that. Or I will have order in my court. <laughs> don't get this man a gavel. Please, actually, don't. That's a formal request. Get me a gavel. No. Everybody, get, send me gavels, no. please. Um, um, oh my gosh, I have a story. I, when we were reading this in school, we were supposed to write a paper on it. Um, and like, we were supposed to like form like a thesis statement on the crucible, right? Try to prove something within the text. And I, and Tom Noblock, okay, fellow podcaster, he made fun of me so much for my thesis statement because Tom is very smart, excellent writer. We were juniors in high school, and I was just like, I don't know, I was like only just learning like about like how to really create like a good thesis statement from a work of literature. He, it was before he won his playwriting I, award. He's come a long way. I well, this was like an essay, right? Yeah. So yeah. it was like, <laughs> and it was like, and so I like literally couldn't think of anything. 
uh, to write about in in the Crucible because the it wasn't like you had to form you know there wasn't like a question to answer it was just like you have to write a paper. What was your thesis? My thesis statement was, John Proctor is a tragic hero, and that is like the idea of a tragic hero. For those of you who don't, it's like the most it's like the most obvious statement ever. Like yeah, of course like, he is. Yeah, <laughs> he is a tragic hero. Is someone basically who starts the play in a very good position of power or whatever, and then ends it in a bad way or yeah. dies at the end. And it's like, yeah, like he's like the <laughs> ultimate tragic hero. Yeah, true. Like him and I guess, yeah, Macbeth, basically. <laughs> like those are like the two prime examples. <laughs> and that was my paper. And I'm pretty sure I got a good grade on it because it's like, I'm sure the teacher read it and was like, yeah, well, of course he is. Yeah. Like you couldn't come up with anything else. Good you couldn't job. find any other symbolism. You couldn't find anything else. And uh, yeah, that was my... Uh, it's a low point. John Proctor's a pro- tragic hero, guys. <laughs> you Remember heard that. it here first. <laughs> Remember that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any uh, any any other thoughts about the play? Or I think it's a good, important read. I feel like I've read this like so many different times. Like in high school, we read it in undergrad. I read it in grad school. We read it for this. I'm just like, and I do feel like I get something new each time that I read it and I think Arthur Miller is so he's just so talented and like you said like creating that chaos creating that tension like you feel it on the page like yeah. so much like yeah. this play gives me anxiety every time yeah it does <laughs> right I'm just like oh the crucible but it it brings so many like emotions when I think about it because I, I feel like I grew up with it that's one of like the first plays I ever read I think oh wow yeah, yeah. Sure. I didn't I'm read sure. or yeah, watch honestly. most straight theater. So, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. I deeply love and kind of hate this play. I dread it a now, little bit, but I do love it. Now we got to talk about the title. Of course. Sarah, what is The Crucible? Well, Will. Why is it called The Crucible? Why not call it The Salem Witch Trials? That is a fantastic why question. Not, why not call it John Proctor's A Tragic Hero? Well, because he didn't have you. Why not call it a tree grows in Brooklyn? What is happening? Why not call it a tree grows in Salem that's going to kill you because you're going to hang from it? A crucible is a situation of severe trial or in which all the different elements interact leading to the creation of something new. And so, obviously, psychotic trial. Is a crucible. Is a crucible. Or maybe the affair is the crucible. Mm. or maybe i think what came the creation of something new was the creation of democracy without theology in it like theocracy was over um because like in the you know echoes down the corridor uh the abridged what is it the final word of a play he's kind of says what happens to like every character and leaves it with theocracy in Massachusetts was broken because of this. So I think that's what the crucible is. The crucible is wonderful. It's a crucible cast party. party. It's It's a crucible crucible cast party. party. Are we ready to cast? Sure. Let's cast the freaking play. Let's cast the freaking play. All right. All right. All right. We're only going to do five characters here. We're going to do Danforth, Tichiba, Paris, Elizabeth. Oh, it's six, I guess. Elizabeth, Abigail, and John Proctor. All right. Who should we start with? Um, Tichuba. Okay. I cast 
Octavia Spencer. That's what I was going to do, but I put I chose Whoopi Goldberg instead. Nice. I, I kind of want to choose Octavia just because I saw her in Ma, and she... Yeah, she could do it really well. Yeah. I honestly... Her eyes... I couldn't mm. think of her name, and I couldn't... I was just like, ah, Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi. I think Whoopi Goldberg is a little too old, probably. Also, I just can't get, like, Whoopi, like, telling jokes out of my head when I think of Whoopi Goldberg. She seems so, like, she, ah, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Rather than, like, acting. She's a good actress, though. What was she in? Color Purple? Something like that. I haven't seen that in so long. Yeah. Um, Who's next? Uh, So we're going with Octavia Spencer. Okay. Judge Danforth. Okay, so I did Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig? Like James Bond? Yeah. Whoa. Why? I don't I'm know. I'm curious. He, you know, I felt like Danforth. He just gave off a real James Bond sort of vibe. Danforth has like, I feel like he doesn't have control of the room a lot of the time, okay. you know? and kind of, So I kind of would like to see Daniel Craig kind of play with that. Okay. Because he naturally controls the room. I don't know if it works. I disagree with that. No, you're very fine. I wasn't super confident, yeah. but I was like, this could be interesting. Okay. I'm going to go with J.K. Simmons, who is, um, he plays J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man series. He, uh, okay. He, he's in Whiplash. He's very good in that. Um, oh, he, I love him. Let's choose him. Yes. Nice. I, I, yeah, I love me some J.K. Simmons. Yeah. He's, he's a great actor. Oh, Under, he's great. Underrated. All right, Paris. Or did he actually win an Oscar? I forget. Anyway. <laughs> did he win no. an Oscar for Whiplash? I don't know. doesn't matter. He was nominated, I think. Anyway. Paris. You good? <laughs> yeah. Paris. Um, so, so I he's actually. the minister. He's the, he's the guy who strikes me as who doesn't have control and is just like, whoa, I'm Paris and I'm a bad minister. But I feel like he's always like coming in and trying to manipulate people. Sure. I chose Daniel Day-Lewis. Interesting that he's in he's in the, the yeah, OG movie. Yeah, I know. I didn't even know. But I was like, oh, how cute. Because it'd be... Okay. I don't know. His son-in-law. He keeps retiring from acting, so it's tough. You know? I know. It's so stupid. I think he can... Can't he just say, like, look, I don't. I only want to be in, like, a few good movies. Yeah. You don't have to retire from acting exactly. every time. Like, you can say like, no to I don't want... Like, don't... Don't... Marvel, don't call me to be in a Marvel movie, please. Yeah. You know? You could say that. That's fine. No one's yeah. going to judge you, Daniel. Yeah. Well, um, who did you choose? I chose Jeff Perry, who plays Cyrus in Scandal. Oh, oh, dang it! That's really good. Yeah, he's kind of like a he's kind of like a little mousy kind of guy. He's dang uh, it. He really, uh, yeah. He does. I mean, he's good at manipulating people. That's all he does in Scandal. Yeah. You know? Dang it! I think he should get it. Yes. Wow, I didn't think you were going to beat me I think, on that. I think Daniel Day-Lewis has too much command of the room. He's just so powerful. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I was just like trying to add him in somewhere because of sure. the relationship. I mean, we, lo- we oh, love yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, but he was already in it. So, You're you know, right. He wouldn't do he it He needs again. to hang up his hat. Um, <laughs> he who, needs to just stop being in the Crucible. Who do we do next? Elizabeth. I chose Charlize Theron. Ooh, nice. Thank you. Okay. Um, I love her. She's deeply. great. She's very good. She would be very good. I chose... Angela Kinsey from The Office. We're, I'm not even going to. Charlize has won. Let's sure. move on. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't it... Angela? Yeah. No. That girl. She's not a great actress, no. but she would play it good. I disagree. Okay. Abigail? I think she's like she would obviously she would only play Angela. Will, you were doing so well. 
what if I for a second I was like, what if I cast all of the office in this play? Yes, and the office did the office cast did this as a play. I hate you. Um Abigail. Abigail. This is I'm definitely maybe stealing yours. I don't think I am. But I'm stealing off of what you've been obsessed with. Anya Taylor. No, Joy. I chose her too. No way. All right. Yeah. That's good. All right. She's uh, from the Queen's Gambit. I I love watching this woman act. Her face is so interesting to me. Like usually, I don't know, the way people look, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah great. Mm-hmm. As long as you're like a good actor, I'm into it. But she is a good actor, but also she's so interesting. Her eyes are so big. Yeah, they are. And like, I, I and literally like very, can't take my eyes off of her. They're like very far apart on yeah. her face. Yeah. yeah, and she just has such a psychotic nature about her. That she contains. I think she is so talented. Um, so, yeah, watch The Queen's Gambit. Anyway. All right, Anya Taylor Joy for Abigail John Proctor, our tragic hero. A tragic hero. Who you got? James McAvoy. Ooh, he'd be really good. Yeah. He'd be real good. I know. It's going to be hard to beat. Bradley Cooper. So James McAvoy. <laughs> What's wrong with Bradley Cooper? I just don't like Bradley Cooper. Okay, that's fair. I think he'd do it, be a pretty good John Proctor, though. What's his line in, I just want to... I want to get another look at you. I just want to get another look at you. Hey, I want to get another look at you. Down something more. Um, anyways, or girl, sorry. Yeah. That's his part of the song. Uh, so we're going to go with James McAvoy? We are. Uh, I think right. that's the stronger choice. I mean, he's the better actor for sure. But we both got, I think we... We got a few. I think we tied, actually. Good show. Good shows, lads. Yes. Um. Question. Oh, what have you been watching, Sarah? What have I been watching? Well, The Queen's Gambit is a great one. Great. We also started, Will and I watched Industry Today, if you have HBO Max. Um, it's Can only I, one episode. Yeah. Can I share my feelings on that? Were you not into it? It was fine. It was... I really I mean, it was it. only one episode, so it's like, yeah, like, I'm, I want to keep watching it. Yeah, it was just the pilot. I, yeah, it's true. The pilot, it just, like, moved... I, th- there's so much financial talk in it, and it just seems like it doesn't really matter, like, what they're saying. It's like, do this report, do this percentages and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like, that's all going way over my head. Well, yeah, I think it doesn't matter. You don't think it matters either? Great. No, yeah, I really so, so it's not it. really going to be like a like a um, um, big short kind of thing where you have to understand no like I don't what's think going so. on in there. Okay, okay. They kind of lean to like you understand how much the or the these characters care about their job. That's really important. Yeah, they'll do anything for it. Yeah, um, and how when they have their successes, it's like that elation. In them yeah. matters and it doesn't matter to anyone else. Yeah. I think is interesting. That was pretty good. Um, it was good. Yeah. yeah. And I really like, um, for some reason, I really like workplace series that take place in England, in London specifically. Yeah. I found that part I like it's more wonderful. It's, and I'm like, I'm like, how is this more interesting than like taking place in like a New York City? It's just more interesting because it's London. Yeah. It's weird. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, so that was good. Uh, I'm trying to think. I feel. Oh, and Schitt's Creek. I have been watching. Um, I'm watching the final season right now and I just love it so much. I like laugh or cry or both every episode and 
If you haven't watched it, you're missing out. And I hope you have watched it because it's so good. I really want to watch. Will's missing out. He hasn't watched it. Yeah. Did I talk about this last time? I really want to watch Mank. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't even remember, honestly. Um, Mank. It's a, sh- it's, a sh- it's a movie that's on Netflix now. Which I think it came out a couple days ago. But it's called Mank. It's with Gary Oldman and uh, I think Lily Collins. I don't remember. Did it come out? I think it came out two days ago. Or maybe... No. No, not yet. Because it came out in theaters a couple days ago. Because it had to be released in certain theaters to be be for whatever, Oscars. But then it's going to be on Netflix soon. I really want to watch that. So No, I want to watch it too. Oh my gosh. It's coming December 4th. December 4th. Okay. Never mind. So it's not out yet. Yeah. I keep saying that. I'm like... I know. Great. Willis, I think you've sent me that trailer like two separate times. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it. <laughs> um, I don't even know why. I've never seen Citizen Kane, so. <gasps> oh my gosh, you have to. Should we watch that before? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I've seen it and I will watch it again with you. Great. Um, okay, Will, who's your crush? I guess my crush is Mank. I think it is. Yeah. I think we found your crush in What Are You Watching, which is a first. Yeah. It's it's Mank. I love that. Um, Sarah, what's your crush? I'm gonna, thank you so much for asking. Uh, let me see. My crush, my friends and I are going to start like a Finer Things Club or like a Le Salon where we're going to... A Le Salon? A Le Salon. A Le Salon. Okay. Um, where you talk about kind of like on this podcast, but we're going to talk about not just plays, but like operas or like art or a movie or a book, you know, very snobbish things. Yes. Each person every two weeks is going to choose something new to like share with the group. And then we're going to talk about it. And I'm very excited to do this. Um, it's going to be really fun. And that's my crush is just talking about, um, things that expand kind of my mindset great yeah i don't know sarah do you feel hot today do i feel hot today yeah i feel i feel like last time on the podcast i was a little down guys and i'm so sorry it was it it was a stressful five months but i feel like i'm on the up and up um no i don't know so i feel better i'm feeling better about myself feeling better about where my life's at so i feel hot today great will do you feel hot today sarah today has been like the most relaxing day ever. it's been so wonderful will like, and we've, i like did like we did like nothing. nothing and we rarely do that and i know it's like oh yeah we're so busy but like honestly we just took the day we took the day we just laid around we watched a million different things and it's been wonderful. Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah. Um, great. Hello. So I do feel hot today because of that. Um, and uh, are you mad at me? Am I mad at you? No, great. actually. And I can fully say that. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's not even First like a little time, bit of hesitation. not even hesitation. Not even that's, like a, mm, should I be mad at him for this? That's love, everyone. That's marriage. And um, I'm going to cook you tacos pretty soon. So. I'm so excited for my tacos. Uh, Will, are you mad at me? No, I'm going to cook you tacos. Yay. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Crucible podcast. It's like almost equally. It's a Crucible podcast. Yeah. It's a Crucible podcast. Yeah. It's an equally uh, Arthur Miller and Crucible podcast, I will say. For sure, yeah. Um, But we love you all. We're obsessed with you. Good night. We'll catch you again for um, maybe sometime soon. Sometime soon. Keep on the lookout.